Great. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, I have to continue doing work with with young scholars like you, Mathesser, um, putting out work and material uh, seemingly all the time. So I've got to make certain I'm ready to go or else you're going to catch me. Um, famous American baseball player said, don't look back in the rearview mirror someone might be gaining. And you and your colleagues have done so with the excellent training you've received um, I'm from Kumar Asami. And I should, um, as you're getting this up, I should warn my German friend, I sometimes speak a bit ganz schnell. So I'll do my best to keep up um, with, uh, try to keep it a little slower with that. Do we have the other slide up? I'm, I'm, yes, I guess so, yes. Great, perfect. Well, give, give it a moment, we'll do that. And again, I very much appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your colleagues. Again, I've been extraordinarily impressed by the work that comes out of India. It has enriched my work. Um, and I've had Kumar Sami speak to my classes multiple times, and they've always been um, extraordinarily um, insightful, and I've learned things. I have another piece I'll be coming working on about Asia's ties with the Gulf states, um, which in part will deal with India. Um, my, my colleagues don't know enough about India, and every time I talk to you and to your colleagues, I learn more every time. Um, do we have the PowerPoint I, up yet, I, or is that? I think I think the PowerPoint is up. Can you can you see it? I can't see it, but I'm going to go ahead and trust that it's um, that it's there. Should I go ahead and start? Yeah, please. Okay. When I was in Great Britain for a friend's wedding in October 2012, I spent an extra day in London to see hashtag Come Together an exhibit of contemporary Saudi artists held at Brick Lane in East London. Since my wife and I would be spending the next year in Riyadh, I hoped that the exhibit could prepare me for my time there. It was a life-changing decision for me, altering how I understand Saudi Arabia, while providing with me with a core intellectual framework for changing Saudi Arabia, art, culture and society in the kingdom. My book published by Lynn Reiner Press and distributed by Viva Publishers in India. I wish to give a shout out to both of those. At the time of the exhibit, the dramatic reforms that we've witnessed over the last four years in Saudi Arabia are still several years away. But the men and the women whose works were on display in London had started to imagine what a future kingdom might look like a country where women might drive and other cultural and social reforms might be implemented. The title that they chose for their exhibit reflected this their spirit of reimagining. Hashtag come together. It evokes realism, but in a fresh way for a new generation by Twitter hashtag. While female activists had staged public driving protests to spark a dialogue on gender, these artists took a different route to talk about sensitive issues. Instead of insisting on one point of view, they made collages and other types of work that displayed many perspectives, including contradictory ones. Several of the works tied Saudi aesthetics and social religious traditions the global ones as diverse as Asian calligraphy, excellent, cubism, film, and hip-hop. Shall we get to the third slide so we can get to where we were? 
Excellent. Again, thank you for getting this up. Technical difficulties um, always work. Here we go. That one will be great. We can get there. Okay. You are we got to the third slide yet? Yeah, it's a bit slow. Yeah, I, I yeah. All right, let me keep on going. We can get to the fourth one. That would be great because that's going to be one they'll need to see. Hip hop art following the directive of the Beatles song, they come together right now. <clears throat> I was intrigued by the aesthetics of these works and the perspective and questions that they raised about issues central to my own scholarship um, of, of the kingdom. This was a vision of culture very different from mine in America. It presented dialogue as an entity in motion. They were always open to interpretation and reinterpretation by others, nor was the discussion about art limited to the gallery in London. Viewers were asked to make comments on social media using the exhibition title, which again was a Twitter hashtag, come together, hashtag come together. All right, we got, you want to get to four so I can get, I'll be talking about that one for a minute. Yeah, I have tried to pick it up, but somehow there's some It's taking a minute. Problem All right, I'll, I'll do my best. We'll come back to, we'll get. No piece in the exhibit was more thought-provoking than Ahmed Matar's The Cowboy Code, Hadith. The work, which is 415 by 800, um, 800 meters, excellent. Yes. Excellent, there we go. Can you all, I assume everyone can see that. Excellent. Yes. Or 163 by 315 inches occupies a vast canvas composed of thousands of red plastic toy gun caps, combining two entities that few people would see as anything in common or even coexisting <laughs> in the same space. One entity gives Mater the first piece of his title, The Cowboy Code. In the late 1940s, the popular American singer, Gene Autry, issued a formal code of ethics for his fans, most of whom were children. It was called Gene Autry's Cowboy Code, or the Cowboy Commandments, of which you can see there are 10. These commanded included injunctions such as the cowboy should never shoot first, hit a smaller man, or take unfair advantage, and he must be gentle with the animals, the elderly, and animals, children and elderly animals. The second entity, which you see on the other side, is the Wasiya al-Islam al-Har, Islam's Ten Commandments in War, which are attributed to the Prophet Muhammad. This code explains the second part of the piece's title, Hadith, the term that Muslims use to refer to the statements and actions of the Prophet Muhammad and a handout provided by the organizers of Hashtag Come Together. Matar explained that as a child, he often played cowboy with toy guns that shot the type of caps that he used in the piece. As I sought to come to terms with Matar's paradoxical work, I remembered Saeed Kutub, the Islamic intellectual who knew Autry's music and mid-century America well. Between 1948 and 1950, Kutub lived, as you can see there, in Greeley, Colorado, right in the middle of the United States, where he familiarized himself with the nation's society, including what he characterized as America's primitive tastes in art and music. Over the next two decades, he became disillusioned with the whole of American art and culture, 
1964 wrote Milestones, a book whose ideas inspired scores of Muslims to wage violent jihad against America and its allies in the Middle East. In Kutub's worldview, the cowboy code, Hadith, makes little sense. It might even be seen as offensive, since the workplace is a code written by an American movie star in the mid-20th century on the same plane as revered holy works of Islam's prophet. But as I looked more intensely at the cowboy code, Hadith, it was clear to me that Matar had developed a perspective and a provocative answer to Kutub. There are phrases in the piece, some in Arabic, some in English, with similar meanings, which are side by side with one another. For example, there is the English phrase, a cowboy respects womanhood, and in Arabic next to it, there is he advised that you should never kill a woman, not kill a woman. By juxtaposing these phrases, Matar asked the viewer to ponder whether America's cultural collision with Islam, including one composed of toy gun caps, can produce something other than discord, namely coexistence and the emergence of common values. For Matar, this was a profound proposal. Not only had many Saudi men his age revered Kutub's book, but Matar and his compatriots had lived for over a decade in the shadow of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, one of the worst examples of cultural collision in the 21st century. Upon reflection, I realized that Matar's willingness to raise the questions showed that he and his fellow artists could negotiate contexts that Westerners and even some Middle Easterners view as being in a state of tension, even to the point of contradiction. But these artists see such contexts as part of the many faces of reality. It was clear to me that this vision allows such artists to express sophisticated opinions in a way that is different from the state society dynamic and the other dualistic structures that my colleagues and I had used for decades to describe Saudi Arabia. What I discovered in East London was a grassroots social discourse one that reflected a cross-section of Saudi public opinion, drew on foreign and domestic sources, and explored the present and possible futures, futures of the kingdom. Are we to the next slide yet, or are we still getting there? Yeah, I guess I can Yeah, one more? Yeah, there we go, yeah. There we go, excellent. The book that emerged out of that realization and that I'll talk about today, Changing Saudi Arabia, Art, Culture, and Society in the Kingdom, investigates this discourse while also seeking to reframe how we look at Saudi Arabia. Building on my extensive research online and throughout the kingdom, I argue that, Saudi, that Saudis articulate, these artists articulate the feelings and experiences that the country's masses cannot easily express. To, to paraphrase Ezra Pound, Saudi artists are the antennae of the kingdom's society whose work is not near self-expression, but in the words of Marshall McLuhan, the distant early warning system that can always be relied upon to tell the old culture what is beginning to happen to it. By investigating the work of Saudi artists, we can get a fresh vision of Saudi society today while starting to transcend the old dualistic frameworks long used to understand the country. Frameworks which Edward Said, 
in his book, Orientalism, widely, wisely argued that we should avoid. Ultimately, changing Saudi Arabia helps us understand how Saudi artists can be prophetic and see the future and reveal key social debates that are not as easily visible in other forms of political and social analysis. For years, observers largely overlooked Saudi Arabia's art, culture, and society, assuming that there was no way that a viable creative class could exist, no less flourish there. In their eyes, Saudis are an intolerant and inward-looking people, you can see with that denial of internet request you can see there, who seek to preserve their cultural and religious traditions against, of, against art and any other manifestation of the contemporary world, a view sometimes reinforced by some Saudis. For instance, the man that you see there, Abdeslam al-Wayel, writing in the Saudi Arabic newspaper Al-Shark, noted, if we can see that there's a Saudi culture and it has value, we can also say with high confidence that the contempt for the arts lies at the heart of its values. In other words, there's no art here. Such comments not only present a narrow definition of the country's culture and society, but also overlook the impact that the artistic movement had already had by the time he wrote that article in 2013. That movement began during the 2000s in Asir. You can see Asir in the south of the country. It's in that red box that you can see there. And it's on the border with Yemen, southern border with Yemen, and it's a place few foreigners visit, but where I was able to conduct extensive research, including at Al-Watan newspaper and at Al-Miftaha, an enormous complex that provides studio art space to the community. Prince Khalid Al-Faisal, Asir's governor, between 1971 and 2007, created the two institutions as part of a program to combat extremism, especially after two Asiris, two people from this region, Wa'al al-Shahri and Walid al-Shahri, participated in the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. Strikingly, shortly after the attack, Abdel Nasser Garam, a commando in the Saudi army, who ironically had actually been a high school classmate of the al-Shafris, was introduced to Matar and another group of young men at a Miftaha, none of whom had any training in the arts, by Jamal Khashoggi. <laughs> at the time, Khashoggi was editor of Al-Watan and a strong supporter of the arts and al-Miftaha in particular. As I discuss in detail in the second chapter of my book, Garam, Matar, and the other young men formed a majlis, or form for group discussion, to talk about both art and its role in the world, using the internet, which had been introduced to the kingdom just a few years earlier. They gathered many articles and books together as they could online, and shared it among themselves. Out of these discussions, which eventually expanded to include women, there emerged a new model for creating art. I guess we're still a little behind on the slides. That's true. Yeah, we'll get to that. One that synthesized art from home and abroad, explored cultural and social issues, drew extensively from the online world, and created a new common social space. Rather than utilizing a Western framework in which, a Western, in which an artist works in a studio and his or her own, creating art as God created the world. They envisioned a process where the artist, 
the majlis, which they're part of, the sort of circle of people talking to each other, and society, through the gallery of art and other ways, had roles in defining art. Indeed, a Saudi art critic told me during an interview that Matar and his colleagues in the majlis allowed others to read into their own work what they want, to have their own say, so to speak. A critical part of that process was ambiguity, for it offered these artists a mechanism to explore sensitive topics while still claiming that the work of, their, of a particular artist or their particular work was nonpartisan. Um, should I, okay, are we gonna get, ah, excellent. Thank you, Mudassar. I understand technical issues happen over these things. These things happen. And again, I wanna pause for a second. You can see there's the modulus there. You can see the men there with the water pipe. That's Garam on the one on the far left, on the far left on his own. Mothra is on the other side of him. And you can see sort of this idea, I talk about ambiguity, if you look at Matar's evolution of man, and I should note, Matar was an emergency room physician before becoming an artist. And you can see on that picture of, and again, you can tell, is he reading from right to left or left to right? Is he talking about suicide? Is he talking maybe about the role of oil in the country? What is he talking about in that context? Again, he's using ambiguity there um, in that context. In interviews with me, artists like Matur and others stressed that they were not picking sides. Instead, they were trying to be a mirror to society. But that did not mean that artists did not want their work to generate a reaction and to bring about social change. Sometimes when you become a mirror as an artist and you show your society who they are, Abdel Nasser Garam has noted, they get upset. Both his work and that of other artists such as Matur's wife Ara al Naimi has touched on sensitive topics and provoked intense reactions at times from society, just as they would have hoped. As they repeatedly told me, their aim is to get people to wake up, to react, as Garam <laughs> likes to say. Um, and you can see they're with the shisha. Do we have the, okay, excellent. You can see two examples of this work here. One is Garam's prosperity without growth. And you can see the picture there, the figure on the throne or seat that's there is actually divided. On one side, you have him wearing the cloak of a Shia cleric and on the other side of a Sunni cleric. Again, this is suggesting sectarian divisions within Saudi Arabia. You can also see religious and other things. Other things might be implied as well. On Miami's Never Never Land is a, um, a series of pictures and a video that we'll have sent out to you afterwards. And that's actually taken in an amusement park in southern Saudi Arabia called Never Never Land. The pictures were done in 2013 before women were allowed to drive. You can see these are women in Saudi Arabia driving bumper cars. What does that say? And why would she do it at a, a place called Never Never Land? Sort of remarkable thing. And she got enormous reactions, you can imagine. With that. Okay, can we go into the next slide? We could get that to work. Excellent. Perfect. By the early 2010s, the model pioneered by Garam and his peers had been adopted by a second generation of artists who explored the same questions that the artists had in Asir, but through a stand-up comedy, social media, video, social media, and videos uploaded to Saudi to YouTube on special channels that effectively became a new form of television. You can see one there on the left, U-turn. Although the comedy shows and videos, which I discussed in the final part of my book, reached a wider audience. 
than the artist had in a seer. This new generation continued to trust others to assign meaning to their work. As Omar Hussein, an early star of this generation, observed, Saudi humor reflects something that is happening in our community in a comical manner. And it's up to you to decide what's right or what's wrong. But as director and stand-up comedian Ali Kothami has noted, Saudi comedy and online videos isn't just back and forth. The viewer is asked to critique and to question rather than passively receive. If you're not a thinker, director Malik Nudger noted to me, you are not a good artist. After all, he added during one of our interviews, I do change through everything of what I do everywhere. And Nodger and his colleagues have more than lived up to this ambitious motto. With both videos and social media accounts that are among the most important in the kingdom, both in the number of followers and in their active engagement. As I discussed in the final part of the book, the second generation of artists has played a key role in the debates on gender um, and the ban on women driving, along with other issues that are not as well known, but are nonetheless important. While the Saudi government and its officials like to say that there is no racism in the kingdom, Mississippi Ibrahim, who you see here performing, Holland Moss, and other dark-skinned Saudi comedians reference discrimination in their jokes and the things that some Saudis will do to improve their job and social prospects, such as using special whitening creams, a process often called skin bleaching, something I'm sure you're familiar with here in India. To illustrate the importance of these jokes, um, I open my book's chapter on stand-up comedy with a story that Holland Moss, you see here, told me about his audition in 2012 for a rehab production company that produces vast stand-up comedy shows in the kingdom. He began his audition by referencing the Saudi woman who had preceded him in the audition, a singer whose skin was so fair that it could be seen as racially white by Saudis. So it began by saying this, I don't know if you just are bad or did something sufficiently bad that God is cursing you. Mm. How else could you be unlucky enough to have a black man follow a white woman with a beautiful voice? He then delivered a brief series of jokes, some of which touched on race in Saudi Arabia. Moss closed by noting that if he failed the audition, he would just hang out with the company's security guard who was also a Saudi of Sudanese ancestry, again, with dark skin, until the whitening cream had had its intended effect. The reaction was a hearty laughter from the judges, signaling that Moss had passed his audition with flying colors. Eight years after the audition, the joke that Moss made about skin whitening creams and the racial hierarchies that they, pr that they promote remains relevant in Saudi Arabia and the wider world, including India. In response to mass protests about police brutality and racism following the death of George Floyd in the United States, Unilever recently announced that it's dropping the word fair from its fair and lovely brand and also eliminating any references to the cream's whitening or lightening effects. Other multinationals, and again, as I'm sure you know, there are many of them, have announced similar changes to their skin whitening cream. The speed and depth of these changes to, prom to prominent bands, brands have, have surprised many observers, but they were consistent with the jokes that Moss had made for years, illustrating the depth of his insights into Saudi society, and by the way, to the wider world. 
along with the wisdom of Ezra Pound and Marshall McLuhan's vision of arts as a prophetic force rather than individual self-expression. Indeed, I framed the introduction to my book around a quotation in which McLuhan hails the arts as a type of early alarm system that provides us with ample time to prepare for social change. Nor am I the only one to realize the power of Saudi Arabia's artists in the kingdom and the wider world. Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Prince Mohammed bin Salman, often known as MBS, has referenced the country's artists in his speeches while incorporating them into Vision 2030. His initiative announced in 2016 to reform the country's economy and its society. Today, Saudi Arabia's creative class looked to culture as a vehicle for transforming society from the bottom up, an approach that relies on faith in persuasion rather than toppling power structures, looking to arts rather than violence for salvation. The strategy I argue in my conclusion has been successful because they reject a central tenet of Western history and of Western modernity, namely that tribalism should be abandoned in favor of individualism. That has been a critical choice for tribalism and religion are viewed with suspicion by many intellectuals in the West and in other parts of the world. Yet individualism has its weaknesses just as tribal and religion have their strengths. The latter, in fact, even addresses some problems inherent in the former, such as the lonely crowd. The people I discuss in, their, in this book wish to maintain key elements of tribalism while functioning in the contemporary world where individualism is often paramount. This paradox provides a lesson, a powerful lesson for observers of Saudi society and politics in the 21st century. If we limit our focus to the people who are most visible and at the forefront of society of government, like Khaled al-Fadid that you see here, we are likely to miss the ideas of the instrumental creators who build many other things. Culture and mass opinion are shaped by the art that a society generates, although this process often occurs outside of public view without explicit assertions. As Garam has said, people need to listen to the artist. He and other artists perhaps aspire to be, to use the famous English poet Pierce Shelley's phrase, the unacknowledged legislators of their country. They begin by bringing the complex issues into the spotlight of art and of laughter. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'll bring my chair here so I can take a seat. First of all, I'm sorry for the interruptions in between. There were some, I think. That's quite all right. Look, with the sharing. Uh, it happens. Also, Look, um, it was, I consider it a success, Modusser. When we spoke about doing this yesterday, the two of us discussed whether we should do a video or not. And <laughs> we wisely decided not to do a video. So if we had issues yes. getting the PowerPoint done, um, imagine what the video would have been. So yeah, yeah. We'll, call it, we'll call it a success. Oh, but yeah, certainly a fa very fascinating you know, talk on a subject which is usually considered as non-existent when it comes to you know the Indian academy, I mean Indian academia or Indian uh, you know uh, uh, on the on the on the Middle East on on Saudi Arabia people who study there is hardly any uh, you know understanding that especially in terms of this dichotomy where a country is considered to be socially conservative but on the other hand you have such a vibrant 
and you know thriving art and scene culture that is something which is which is fascinating and you know uh, uh, this is something which i have been trying to kind of also figure out in some of my uh, research as well taking cue from your work uh, oh, and <laughs> thank you i told you i have to keep i have to keep working and Second. come up with new ideas there are all yes. kinds of scholars um who have been trained well um who are coming certainly and i would i would urge everyone to uh, write their questions in this uh, chat box uh, so that you know everyone can see the question and dr sham poli also can see the question the first question has actually come from professor kumar swami who has who is asking about where does the movie and entertainment you know industry figures in this changing art scene and what is the in terms of role of the opposition from ulema if there is any uh, you know and how does that feature uh, okay. and, uh, what are the what are the you know issues related to the royal patronage of art and culture and and then perhaps some 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 insights on the role of women are there women artists as well and how oh, yeah. do they they portray you know kind of art and Uh, the society and their views. Okay, let me get this. I'm not seeing you. So the first one is, what is the role of the movie industry, right? Um, yes. How are they funded? Was that the question? That was part of it. That was the third. No, I mean, how how the movie industry and the, how does that feature in this larger art scene which we are talking about? Uh, okay, in, yeah, and it's it's there. Okay, movie scene. Um, how it's funded? Am I right? That was another or patronage, patronage and also yes. a patronage. And the final one was about women. Is that mm -hmm. right? and then the opposition okay. from the ulema yeah sure okay the movie industry um is it took a little bit to come but it's actually been um i'm going to actually answer some of those questions um from the beginning um to those to those questions first the movie industry is is emerging as a powerful force saudi arabia has had multiple entries into the academy awards in the united states um in fact some of the earliest directors um uh, earliest directors were women um some of the earliest movies um were were women you can see some of these online there's a whole series of movies both movies i should note involving actual individuals like people but also movies as well there's a movie just done recently called masamir um which is actually a cartoon movie um as well and movies are very much emerging there's a an industry the saudi government as part of vision 2030 has i'm as identified movies as a key industry has also um, just reopened even with covid um their movie theaters they see movie theaters and art production as something that needs to be generated um and something that their country is capable of doing and the um saudi artists have produced movies um one of my favorites is baraka meets baraka um which is a movie starring hasham faki uh, among others which is a movie set in which came out in 2016 and was a and was nominated for an academy award um so again that there's an um, was nominated by Saudi Arabia to win, to to enter into the Academy Awards in the United States and I should note that movie for instance there's an, a powerful scene in the middle of it where there's effectively a dialogue between people in their 20s and people in their 50s about what had happened in Saudi Arabia between 1979 when there was a an, an attack on on the Kaaba in Mecca and afterwards and what's remarkable about that debate is that Mohammed bin Salman actually referenced that debate in the film it's at a sort of exchange in a speech that he gave to an international conference um in 2017 sort of remarkable moment um to see that um so the film industry is very much alive and well it's going to take some time but there's been significant investments that have been made by the Saudi government that are coming it's very much there 
Um, women artists, again, people who are involved, those directors I mentioned, Arwal Niami is one of a number of female artists who are there. Um, and women artists have been involved pretty much from the beginning in this process and have been involved all different types of things. The movie Masamir that I mentioned, it, the star is effectively a woman um, as well. So women are very much involved and have brought issues, including as well. Um, if you look at, say, the PowerPoint slide, the fourth slide in, which had the picture of the women with, you saw the picture with the doves that was there. That was from a, a female artist um, as well. They're very much involved in this process. Okay, patronage is a difficult issue and a complicated issue um, to explain. Um, at the beginning of the process, Prince Faisal um, provided sort of indirect patronage. Um, but after that initial process, Saudi artists actually up until, up until 2015, 2016, were actually able to get private sources and actively went out and got private sources for that money. Since 2016, since it became clear to the Saudi state, that these artists were operating on their own, there's been an attempt to bring Saudi artists into the larger system, to bring them under the umbrella of the state. There's an organization called MISC, which is um, a nonprofit foundation run by the, um, Prince Mohammed bin Salman that has actually brought in Saudi artists into its umbrella and promoted them. In fact, Saudi arts are now often a company um, when the Saudi state um, has a diplomatic or a cultural mission, say, with the Russians or the Americans or others, Saudi Art Art came with. In fact, when Trump came to visit Saudi Arabia in 2017, he was actually brought to a Saudi art exhibit, which included both men and women. So it's very much into that process. Saudi artists, of course, are aware that there are positives that come with that, but also potential um, negatives, um, which is another powerful one um, as well. Does that answer your question, Kumar Asami? Yeah, that, that's the yes. Okay, I know I've got one here from um, uh, Darkashinian. Cinema is a growing area in the kingdom, which several directors and producers import on, on important works. Okay, there are a whole series of them, um, both men and of women um, that, that are there. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, Ali Al-Khathami is, is certainly one. Um, Michelle Al-Jesser are two examples of men who are um, involved. Um, as well. Let me read you a couple of other names here to make sure I'm get here as well. It is early in the morning, so give me a second here, um, here to make sure I've got the women here I want to mention. Um, and I should note, by the way, hold on, let me go back here. Um, oh, hold on here. Get a director here. Okay, it's still early in the morning to make sure I'm getting the name here as well. Okay. Um, Ahad Kamal is another one. Um, a very one called Sanctity, um, which is actually up online, a very beautiful film that if you get a chance to do that um, as well. Um, and Ahad Kamal's is Haifa Mansour is another famous director as well. Those are just two examples of directors. And I should know also about these directors, a number of these directors, um, such as Bashar al-Jesser, who actually um, had a piece entered this year in the Sundance Film Festival in the United States, are being trained in the United States. So those are a couple of examples of those names. Um, I can send some more names as well. Does that give you a couple of answers? Um, actually, um, Joseph, do you want me to send you some links? Would that help as well? Yeah, that, that would perhaps be good. There are a couple yeah, of more you, questions uh, you know, which I've yeah, got in the chat. Yeah, I want to make sure we've got other questions <laughs> with that. We have some one very interesting question from Inudin Ahmed, the journalist in, based in New Delhi. And he okay. asked, what about the perceptions from outside? I mean, the more Saudi Arabia tries to open up, the more un-Islamic 
you know, quote unquote, un Islamic, it is considered by those sitting outside the country. I mean, how that, how does Saudi Arabia or the kingdom, or the monarchy reacts to that? I, I would okay. also like to add another question of my own. When I was, I mean, working on my PLT uh, work, a lot of uh, things, and when I was uh, visiting Saudi Arabia for my field work, uh, one of the things which I noticed is that there is a lot of underground, you know, artists, groups, there are lots of music groups underground, because at that time it was not yet, you know, allowed to have, you know, music groups and bands and Western groups, which were actually going outside Saudi Arabia sometimes to participate in these kind of, you know, uh, uh, music, you know, festivals, but within the kingdom, they were doing underground. So how has that, considering the kind of change which is going on, how has that kind of changed in the past few years? Okay, so the first one is, okay, the first one was sort of how are there outside perceptions to Saudi film? Yes. Okay, so outside perceptions. Or within the, king, within the kingdom? One is the question regarding outside, how, how the perception about Saudi Arabia opening up the society being so un-Islamic, how is that, you know, viewed outside okay. and the reaction from inside? Oh, sure. Okay. Um, when we look at the, at the art thing first, um, it, within the kingdom, there's still a debate as to whether this is fully Islamic or not. There are still significant portions, there's still portions of Saudi society that are not on board with this. Um, that that's the first thing. That's the first thing to say. There are still groups within the kingdom, um, but they're not necessarily the dominant for voices they were as well. One of the things that is, I think, most striking about Saudi uh, about Saudi artists and about Saudi comedians, instead of comedians, most strongly felt this, but other artists as well, is that one of the things they wanted to do was transcend the cultural barriers between left between the more what are seen as a more secular and a more religious view, and consciously developed artistic visions. Um, that would speak to all of society at once. Remember I mentioned about contradictions or things that we see as inherently contradictory. They actually pushed um, to be able to talk to both sides. So that, for instance, at a Quranic recital, you could have a, you could have a, um, you could actually have um, a, a, a stand-up comedy routine. Um, and that the idea that their art would be respectful. If you look, for instance, at the video, No Woman, No Drive, um, starring Hisham Bagi, you can note they're all wearing sort of full Saudi outfits. They don't have musical accompaniment, for instance. They actually, they're only singing. They don't have instruments or other things. And again, they say very consciously at the beginning, we're doing this as a sort of respect the Saudi cultural and values. And there's been, one of the things that they were aware of was that er, an earlier generation of Saudi artists and television um, were hit very hard by the religious divisions within the society in the 2000s. And those groups um, had to move, the, and that forced even some directors to even move to Dubai um, and to get out of the country. This is very, this is their 2000s. And they consciously wished to avoid that. And so part of what they're doing and they're, they're religious and other things, and, and this is, I think, important to realize. This is an important cultural thing to realize. We tend to think of state versus society as society, as, as a state versus society. So you're in these artists, you have to worry about the state coming down on you like a load of bricks. That's actually not what they're more worried about. What they're more worried about is somebody out in society getting sufficiently angry at them that then the state has to act mm, okay. um, in that context. Um, and so that's a, a sort of powerful thing, a sort of perception both inside and outside. 
Okay, there is a significant anger within the United States, within the Western world towards Saudi Arabia. There is no question about that. Um, there are also those within the Islamic community that are very ambivalent towards Saudi Arabia. That is an issue that has been in the past. That has even got an uh, issue as well. Um, in particular, within the United States, it's become a political domestic issue because of the perceived close connection between the Trump administration and the Saudi government, but also because of what happened with Khashoggi. And in fact, um, the artists themselves were directly impacted by that, that there were invitations to major cultural institutions like Columbia University, United States, that were pulled back when the Khashoggi, when the Khashoggi murder happened. Um, and that had an enormous impact um, on the artists of themselves. And um, there is a significant question um, about sort of how uh, the country is perceived um, in the rest of the world. And, and there are some artists who live outside of the country. Most Saudi artists actually live within, still live within the country, but there are those who live out, out, outside of the country who have helped generate the, um, this debate um, as well. And this has created issues. When you talk about, um, Modesto, about art, um, one of the things about underground is that the internet provided a very early space for that, that to take place. Um, because the internet wasn't actually integrally regulated. One of the reasons why they set up initial television stations when they set those up at the beginning was that um, you could do things on the internet you couldn't do on terrestrial television or you certainly couldn't do, um, certainly couldn't do on cable television either. The Saudi state has responded to this by trying to bring those people in. If you look, for instance, at major production companies, and this goes back to Kumarsami's excellent question about about patronage, um, they've done investment, and that investment can be direct state state involved, or it can be people acting on behalf of state interests or the royal family. The lines between state and royal interests aren't necessarily as clear as we would like um, in that context. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, sure. Good. Okay. Yeah, yes. absolutely. A few more questions, actually. Oh, yeah, a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Um, so I hope that answers those two questions about that. And again, there was a, a very powerful um, industry, including heavy metal art that connected um, to different parts of the region, um, which you're right to point out that, um, again, heavy metal shows being rated, you know, stories. Um, by that point, the, those music artists are actually now being taken on and signed um, by Saudi record labels. And I should note that there's a long tradition within the kingdom of music. Of, of sort of music and also music, musical uh, musical stars. Muhammad Abdu uh, being a very, which I'm sure Joseph Kashini is aware of, very famous Arabic singer that sang to the entire Arabic world um, with that as well. Um, okay, okay, let me get, I've got Who has served in the MEA for a long time in India. He asked, what is the effect of different regional influence, for example, Hijaz and Naj, uh, on the art culture uh, and art scene in, in the kingdom? And does this result in a satisfactory synthesis? And then there are Excellent. a couple of other questions also. I thought. Oh, I see them as well, and we'll get to um, we'll get to Um Harum um, as well, and also um, the the issue um, as well of, of Israel, which is a very yes, interesting sir. issue. Well, there's one question which has come to me privately, which uh, maybe you would not be able to say. This is from Dr. Alwait Singh. He asks: There is a constant push from the current dispensation in Saudi Arabia strengthen the tourism industry yeah sure so how how are the conservatives i mean this is this again relates to the same question as to what is the opposition to the this opening the social opening in the kingdom how is that reacting to these kind of you know push from the oh from the, I, I, to give you an idea yes. um how many of you are familiar with the word the amish 
Do people know the Amish? These are people within the United States came here in the 17th century, 18th century mainly, um, who still live very what we call 18th century lives. Um, and you still see them. They actually don't use electricity if they don't help it. They don't use cars or other things. And in an interview with a, um, a conservative um, with the Washington Post, he actually Sean, used the phrase- Sean, if I can interrupt, there, is, there was one more question which I missed earlier. Maybe I can ask yeah. because we're running out of time as well. Uh, there, is, there is a question from uh, Ahmed Tashfi on the contemporary Saudi art, how far the minorities in the kingdom, the Shia minorities, how far they are represented in this you know, art scene? If you can add that in the... In the sure. Context. Okay. To make a quick question with the Amish, um, and to give you an idea where some religious conservatives see they are, um, the religious conservative compared himself to being the Amish. That, that's the phrase used. Um, and it should be noted, someone like Mohammed bin Salman um, is, although promoting promoting what we would see as linking to the West and other types of cultural things, it should be noted that Mohammed bin Salman is himself very pious. Doesn't, for instance, smoke um, in the way that other members, for instance, of the royal family is. And again, I think there's a broad understanding within the kingdom about issues like tourism and the need to move away from oil production. Um, and that you've got to develop other types of things with it. Okay, I've got about 10 minutes here, so let me answer quickly a couple of these other questions, all good questions. The one about regional ones is an excellent question, um, because in fact, there had been a feeling, to be blunt, that Saudi cultural production had been focused on the Najd. You look at a show like Tash Matash, for instance, very famous Saudi television show, of, uh, up until the uh, 1980s through the 2000s, sort of was the dominant Nasr al-Qasabi on television, was seen by other people in the kingdom as an overwhelmingly, um, overwhelmingly nudgedy show um, in a way that that, that that was very much, um, very much a nudgedy show. And, um, and the people, and that it didn't necessarily portray people in say the Hajaz in his, in his way that was favorable or even realistic to them. And in fact, part of the anger, Tash Batash was that show I mentioned earlier the one that drove people out of the kingdom. Part of the point of, of Saudi artists and the movement that I talk about is to bring in a more culturally diverse agenda. If you look at, a, at a, an organization like Telfos 11 and its heyday, 2013, 2014, 2015, they made a point of telling me that, that they had people from all over the kingdom. And in fact, that this, for instance, there are different, um, in the Hejaz and the Nudge, there are different types of humor. And I remember talking to a playwright who explained to me, if you're going to give a play, you've got to deliver it in a different context in different parts of the kingdom. One of the things that Saudi arts do, and I love this question, um, is it shows us how different this kingdom is. It's a vast country. It's like India or the United States or Europe, even like Germany. Huge states that have diversity depending on different parts of the kingdom. And part of what the art allows us to see are those different types of things. A number of the very important cultural people, again, it's important that this artistic movement began in the South. Why? The artistic movement in the South, A, was outside of sort of the, the sort of cultural areas, but also the South, places like Asir, had its own artistic tradition. And Kumar Asami's question about women, Akbar Matar, one of the first artists, the picture I showed you, his mother was a painter. There's a specific style of house painting um, of, of huge houses in the south of the country. And part of Matar's training as an artist came from watching his mother paint these houses, in a very specific Assyri tradition. So different regions of the country, and in fact, Garam 
is from the South and actually began to train other people from the South, um, a la being one of the ones. And you can see intellectual linkages based on regions within the, within, within the artistic movement um, in itself. Um, and other people as well. Jedge has been an important point. Um, Shia have also been involved as well. There have been Shia, both men and women involved in, in the movement and also um, involved in the Eastern province. Some of the most important artistic um, traditions have come out of the Eastern process by both Shia and non-Shia, um, connected um, remarkably to Aramco um, as well, as part of that as well. Okay, Ramadan, there was a debate sparked on um, NBC about Um Harum. That wasn't the only thing as well. Uh, Nasser al-Kasabi also had um, a debate that was sparked between um, both um, an open discussion, actually on a, on a top Saudi television program. And I should back, back up for a second and explain something. Nasser al-Kasabi has been the most important, uh, Saudi, one of the most important Saudi cultural figures um, for many, many years. Uh, many, 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 many years. And he often has his, um, um, his shows will come on different forms during Ramadan. Um, a year ago, for instance, he actually did a very famous show um, called Al-Asuf that actually looked at um, Saudi cultural, that actually looked back at Saudi history, back to the 70s, and actually showed the storming of the, um, the Grand Mosque in Mecca sort of had that as a powerful moment and talked about the emergence of, of religious reforms and strong religious movement um, within the country. And so those are always take place during Ramadan and I, um, dur during Ramadan. These are things that people watch right at, right at, um, at, right after sunset, after they've broken the fast. These are hugely things. So he had that on his show. There actually was a debate about how they should have, whether they should have diplomatic relations um, with Israel. It's an open debate. Should we just not deal with the Palestinians anymore? It was actually said on, debated on live on tele television. Um Harum is another special um, as well, where Jews, uh, um, talks about Jews in Kuwait um, as well, which was very important as well. And again, this is part of a, of a delicate dance between um, the Middle East, um, between Saudi Arabia and Israel, particularly with the changing region, that they share a common, a common adversary in Israel a feeling also that America is not providing it. But I should say one other thing, and this is extraordinarily important to note, it also reflects the emergence of both China and India in this region. It should come as no surprise when anyone talks to you about Um Harum that there is one country, and this is from, from Kumar Asami, and again, nothing is done alone, that is allowed to fly over Saudi Arabia to get to Israel. That's India. Last year, a million people flew on the flight between New Delhi and, um, and Tel Aviv. Akumar Sami earlier this year gave a lecture where he told me that the, were the, that, the, um, that the flights were packed with that. And, it's, and you can see this emergence of China as well as India um, have invested greatly in this Middle East as well. You can see that transition should be noted as well Israel also plays a key role in Red Sea Indian security, which is emerging as another powerful political issue and military issue um, as well. Israel is one of a number of navies, along with India and others, that has a presence in the Red Sea um, as well and in the Mediterranean. So when we talk about those issues, um, I, I, I'm actually, I should say a plug, actually a piece coming out um, uh, in the next couple of weeks that will talk about these issues. Um, in greater detail, but it also shows that emergence 
as well. And I should notice well one other thing, and this is something I talked about in my first book. There were Jewish communities um, in Saudi Arabia. Um, Natron being an excellent example. There were Jews in Saudi Arabia up until the mid-1950s. Um, and many of them did not leave initially in 48. Um, in fact, it's, it's sort of remarkable with Netron in the South. If you visit Netron, people will tell you, yeah, we, we remember that. They, they'll, they'll bring up the Jews in Netron were both silver and goldsmiths as well as gunmakers. Interesting position to be in in that tribal context. And I should note, Netron is also interesting. It's a, it has a large, along with Eastern Province, a large community of Shia. And that Netron, and, and in Netron, um, people will remember. They'll actually show it to you, um, you know, as well. One person told me about being online at a museum in Washington and, and seeing people talk in both Hebrew and in Arabic. He recognized it was Nijrani Arabic. Okay. All righty. During Ramadan, okay, I got the Um Harum. Um, there are there other topics, such other topics that are cultural sphere. Yeah, absolutely. Almost any cultural topic you can imagine is going to end up being discussed. And I should note one other thing about, the, about arts as being... Um, as being sort of predicting the future. Nasser Kasabi um, in Taj Mahal actually had in the 90, in the early 2000s actually showing women driving. Almost 10 plus years before the event actually occurred, this you saw this on Saudi cultural context. Remember, art is a context where people can imagine things. I've got three minutes here. My time is almost up. Let me read this question here. <laughs> I think I think perhaps we can you know leave it at this. Perhaps. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we also need to wind up on time. Okay, let me let me finish this point <laughs> about Nasser Kasabi. Just one more question was there on yeah. religious police. Um, um, Maybe just a um, minute or so. Yeah, one thing I should note: Nasser Kasabi produces his work um, on Saudi. Um, for instance, he's had close relations with with the royal family. The previous king, King Abdullah, was called his biggest fan, and he's done his work on SBC, which is a, a network owned effectively by the Saudi government. 60% of his own by the Saudi government. Um, and he's had enormous things. It should be noted, Nasser Kaspi had to leave the kingdom and has still done some filming. In fact, the same series that had the issues um, that between men and uh, between the conversation about Israel was actually filmed in Dubai. Um, and you could see there was actually sort of scenes that were clearly not set in Riyadh. Yeah. So I think, I think you have really gave us a very fascinating insight into the art scene, the budding art scene. And, you know, flourishing art scene in the kingdom. Uh, certainly, you have picked all of our audiences, everyone's interest on trying on you know knowing more about uh, the art scene in Saudi Arabia. And certainly, I hope everyone would be interested in getting hold of your book. I'll now hand over to Professor Kumar Swami for his conversation.